And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I'm your host for this JavaScript podcast, broadcast podcast thing that we love. Um, and our show today is uh, episode number 27, which means this is episode 28, because we started at zero, of course. Um, but the, it's called For the Beginners. And we're going, uh, going to be talking with a couple people about uh, some of their experience as beginners and how we can um, uh, get through the really tough stages of beginner life, and then how we can help people who are beginners once we are no longer beginners. Um, before we get into the show, though, I like to give a couple announcements and shout-outs to sponsors. So first sponsor is Egghead.io. They're the premier sponsor, and they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and more. And my Webpack uh, course is done and will be released this Friday, unless something weird happens, so keep a lookout for that. Um, and then Frontend Masters is also a sponsor. They're super awesome. Uh, it's a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Check them out, frontendmasters.com. And TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before your customers notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And SparkPost is web uh, email delivery built for developers. Build something awesome with their Node.js library or SMTP relay. Start sending 100,000 emails free with SparkPost at sparkpost.com slash jsair. 100,000 emails for free. That's crazy. Uh, and then WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular uh, and React, and integration with lots of different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com slash webstorm. Sweet. So let's get, uh, oh, yeah, a couple more announcements. So uh, JS Air question, that is a hashtag that you can utilize on Twitter to ask questions of our guests uh, during the show. So if you have any questions uh, while you're watching, yeah, hashtag JS Air question. And then next week, I'm going to be in Kansas City at KCDC. That's Kent C. Dodd's Developer Conference. No, just kidding. It's, uh, it's Kansas City Developer Conference. And uh, yeah, I'll be doing an on-site show there. So look forward to hearing uh, what's going on at KCDC next week. Um, and as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. Let's get into introductions. So um, for our panelists, we have a great big panel here. I love big panels. So um, yeah, first we have uh, Dan Abramoff and Brian Lunsdorf. What's going on? Uh, and sorry, Dan, Dan did wave, by the way. Um, he wasn't just being uh, like, I don't even want to talk to you. <laughs> he did wave. Uh, and uh, then we have Kyle Simpson. Hello, everyone. Um, and Pam Selly. Hey. And then again, I'm Kent C. Dodd, your host. And then for our guest today, um, oh shoot, Max, I didn't practice your last name. It's Max Stoiber. That was perfect. Yeah, that's me. Nice to meet everybody. Yay. And Amy Knight. Hello. I had Amy's name practiced really well because she was a panelist on Angular Air for a long time. So it's good to have her back. Uh, and Tim Dorr. Hi. Awesome. So uh, for, yeah, just to kick off our, our show again, we're talking about uh, beginners in the JavaScript community. Um, this, this show is for these beginners. And so I, I think it'd be really useful to get uh, some background story 
on Max, Amy, and, and Tim, um, and hear kind of who they are and like how their beginner story got started. But before we actually get into that, let's get a quick intro to uh, to each one of our guests. So, Max, do you want to give us an intro to yourself, who you are, where you work, what you're interested in? Yeah, sure. So, as you all know, my name is Max. Um, I work at ThinkMill, which is an Australian agency, um, as an open source developer, where I take care of Keystone.js, our Node.js content management system, and Elementary UI, our React.js UI library. And you might also know me as the creator of React Boilerplate or Carte Blanche. That's the short rundown of what I do. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Amy? Uh, yep. So uh, I work right now at a company called Kuali. I also do a podcast called JavaScript Jabber, so many people probably listen to that too. Um, and uh, everybody knows me kind of uh, before programming. I was a figure skater. So, uh, But right now at work, I'm doing uh, uh, a lot of React and just a lot of Node. So that's what I do. Awesome. It's great to have you. And Tim. Hey. Um, so I currently work at a company called Showcase IDX. We do real estate search for real websites. Um, Co-founder of SalesLoft. I created the first working space in Atlanta. I'm very active in the um, Atlanta startup scene. Uh, online, you might know me from uh, closing your issues with no comment on React Router uh, or nitpicking small word, wording choices on Redux uh, PRs. Uh, I've been kind of involved in like, the, the React and now React community group. And then uh, I also do some fun stuff with uh, hacking my car's API, so I have a Model S, and then I, I documented the API behind all that and actually made a little uh, watch app a while ago that Shows you, you know, your car stats and stuff, um, and yeah, I'm just kind of a all-around hacker sort of guy. Very cool. Uh, cool. Thanks to everybody for your intros. So yeah, let's let's just get into this. So uh, let me give kind of an idea of what I'd hope that our conversation gets into. Um, I really want uh, people watching the show to walk away with, especially beginners, to walk away with um, some. Act actionable things that they can do to um, uh, to develop their skills and um, uh, integrate themselves in the community. And I feel like each one of you guests have done that uh, successfully and, and um, also the panel. So we have a lot of really brilliant minds on this subject um, on our panel today. So that's what I'd really like to get into and, and take away from this. Um, but Let's let's go ahead and start with our, our guests to get kind of their beginner story. Can you each of you give us a couple minutes of how you got into programming? We'll start with uh, Max. We'll go the same order. Yeah, sure. Um, so I started programming in school. I had an IT class, and we did a, you know we did a tiny bit of HTML and CSS, like you know how to make a div and how to make the background red. And then I learned a bit of shell programming, and um, then I had to write a forty five-page thesis for basically for graduating high school in, in Austria, you have to write this sort of 40-page thesis about a topic that you choose. And obviously, I chose network protocols, because that's the most interesting topic ever. Turns out it isn't. Um, <laughs> I still had to write that thesis. So I ended up writing a 45-page thesis about TCP IP and how that works and how it compares to OSI and all that sort of stuff. And then I had this huge 45-page thesis really theoretically about how all of that stuff works, but had never actually used it. And I realized that one of the most simple implementations of TCP IP is a web server. 
So I set up a really simple $5 Ubuntu server on DigitalOcean and put an index.html file on there. And as it turns out, making websites is a lot more fun than network protocols. And I ended up just playing around with that website for ages and basically made like a personal website, which wasn't any, like, it wasn't some sort of portfolio because there was no work on that. But I basically said who I am and, like, that I'm interested in skiing. And I basically fiddled around with this for a good few months, completely overhauling it every single time because I'd learned about, you know, SAS. And, you know, I learned about some sort of really awesome, you know, and then I learned the basics of JavaScript and jQuery, and it was, it was really cool. And then that, by complete chance, landed me an internship in London at Animate, which is an agency that is in, around Old Street. And they basically gave me three months um, of a paid internship to really dive into um, learning how to be a front-end developer, basically. And after two months, they were like, well, we've sort of taught you a ton of things about HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. You're really good at that. Um, there's this really cool new thing called React. It sounds really awesome. We've never used it. Do you want to look into it? And so I looked into it and built like a tiny side project. And then from there on became a freelance developer. Um, and I've been doing that, have done that for you know, one and a half, two years. And now recently, six months ago or something, joined ThinkMill as their first open source developer. That's basically my story. Oh, that's really interesting. So um, could you remind me, maybe you said this, when, when was it that you built your own personal website? Um, the first version of that personal website was built in probably mid-2014. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, so so um, most people probably don't know this, but I'm 19 years old. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things that I love about this community and, and just, like, the fast pace of the web is that you can... It's like a really fast-moving um, river that you just jump into and you, like, catch up with the, the current really quickly just because it's moving so fast. Um, and, yeah, so I, I'm also pretty young. I, I graduated from college in 2014. Um, and, yeah, like, it's, you know, if you're a beginner watching or listening, um, just don't think that um, this is totally beyond you or anything because things move so quickly, you can learn and, and uh, catch up. It's awesome. Anybody else have comments on that before we ask Amy? Cool. Go ahead, Amy. Okay, so my story, um, I was not exposed to tech or anything, um, didn't even own a computer, and uh, spent most of my life as an athlete, as a figure skater, um, and I kind of faced this crossroads when you are um, an athlete like that in like gymnastics or skating, you really peak at a very early age. And uh, I had a ton of fun skating. Like, it was my life. I made a lot of sacrifices. I left home at 16 so I could skate um, and, like, moved halfway across the country with my coach without my parents. Um, like, we were all in. And so when I faced this, like, I, I decided, um, even kind of against a little bit of, like, my parents' urgings, I decided, like, I need to go to college. Um, but the plan was for me just to coach the rest of my life. So I went to college, and college was just kind of like an afterthought and um, just kind of like make it through because I had a scholarship. I had to keep really high grades. Um, you know, like I was working uh, 30 hours a week while I was in school. And, but I was kind of like just facing all this stuff, like what is the next thing in my life? Uh, so a little bit after college, married my husband, and we, again we moved, and there was no rink nearby, so I couldn't even coach anymore. 
So I was just like really, really, really struggling for uh, like what is my next thing in life. And it turns out I was working with some developers because I ended up doing some marketing type stuff. And my husband deployed for a year, so I didn't get to see him. <laughs> and a lot of times I didn't even get to talk to him. So I'm like sitting Super at fun. home. <laughs> so I'm sitting at home alone in this house in Savannah with like no friends or family nearby and like just have this huge like awakening of what am I going to do for the rest of my life and because I was working with some of these developers at, we had this website that was really outdated and I decided I was going to like take it upon myself to make some updates to it so I'd like stay up really late while uh, like I didn't think anyone was paying attention and I would tweak like CSS and HTML uh, in this like CMS background and uh, turns out like I, I got addicted to it so I went to a boot camp when my husband came home uh, one thing led to another and so I have been like working professionally now for a little under two years also quite young <laughs> It's awesome, yeah. So these beginner experiences are pretty fresh, and and coming from like, I well, I was about to say you're coming from kind of a non unconventional background, but I'm starting to realize that the conventional background of like getting a degree and everything like that's less and less conventional these days. Yeah, I really it, it is actually. I don't know if I would classify it as a peeve of mine, but it is something. I feel like so many people introduce themselves. I really like these kinds of origin stories, and so many people say, you know, I come from an unconventional background. Uh, that, like, if eighty percent of people say that, then it's you know it's now conventional. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would also say that um, one thing I've noticed is a lot of these uh, coding boot camps are providing a, a new path for people to get into development and coding. Um, a lot of people. Traditionally, you know, say 10 years ago, would think the only path to really get into this is to go through school and learn a lot of stuff and get all that book knowledge and then get an entry-level job and work your way up from there. Um, and then people who are just from an entirely different path uh, haven't even considered the fact that you know that's something they could switch over to. Um, you know, it's kind of like an auto mechanic suddenly becoming a chef or something. Um, you know, it seems so wacky and out of place, but. Um, a lot of these things are, are really opening up new avenues. There's also a lot more kind of community support around these sorts of things. Um, actually, our newest hire is a guy who used to be an instructor at one of the boot camps. Um, and I have some friends that just hired some people from the boot camps as well. Um, so th there's new ways that people are getting involved in this sort of stuff. And it, it's interesting because it's, it's making this more accessible to a lot more people, uh, which makes the, the talent pool more available, um, but also, like, Gets the uh, it gets you you able to reach and connect with more uh, uh, diverse audience people that aren't thinking about things in kind of the the one accepted or one true way of doing things. Yeah, that's a whole other topic as well. Is that um, that we actually had a couple of weeks ago on on JavaScript Air about the importance of having uh, d diverse backgrounds and and um, being able to bring a lot more to the, the table than just your skill set. Cool. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and have uh, Tim, you can give us your background. Sure. Um, so, well, I talked about these other ways of getting to it. I went, around, went about it pretty much the standard way. Uh, so, uh, I'm down here in Atlanta, and I've been here for 15 years because I initially went to Georgia Tech, 
So I started programming at home. Uh, we had a 286 and then a 386 and then the 46 with the math coprocessor. It was really awesome. Um, and I got into it because I had a, a goal in mind. It wasn't necessarily to be a programmer. It was I need to build something. And what I wanted to build initially was like a, a new interface for my computer, so like a startup thing. So I whipped out QBasic and started creating this like menu system for my computer so I could just easily get to the programs I wanted to get to. Um, and a lot of my kind of uh, path through development has been around like purpose, you know, driven stuff. So, you know, I got into tech because I knew I wanted to be a programmer, so that was kind of the goal there. And while I was there, I actually started my first company, which was a hosting company. And that was just incidentally started because I actually wanted to uh, just have a server to play around with. And I got some uh, friends to split on it, and we um, basically that snowballed into an actual company, and I ended up selling that a few years ago. So... Um, Oh, congratulations. Uh, uh, you know, built on my desire to just have a computer to play with, basically. Um, I've kind of noticed that throughout my career. So, like, um, usually when I get into something new, it's, um, you know, it's, there's some purpose for that. And then also what I noticed is that it's kind of also a reset switch. So, um, you know, I, I'm constantly considering myself a beginner at every new thing that comes along. Um, you know, like, when I started working on, like, Ruby code, uh, I wasn't very good at it, and I actually kind of hated it initially. Um, and for some reason, like, PHP more. I just blame it on my dumb youth. Um, and <clears throat> I found that, uh, you know, it, it, I basically would have to relearn all this stuff over again. I'd use a lot of the same concepts as I go, so, you know, each time isn't so much of a complete reset. Um, or mind wipe or something, um, but I would uh, be you know have to maintain that kind of humble behavior of you know I'm the learner here I'm the beginner I'm the newbie um, I'm not uh, just because I have some experience way over here doesn't mean I can bring that here and have some sort of uh, unspoken clout that uh, doesn't really apply. Um, I, I think that's like really important to like any any beginner is like you're going to be a beginner for life. Um, I, I think Ryan Florence has brought up like he's a junior dev for life, and that's a good way to go about it. Like you're you're going to be a junior developer with everything because um, even if you stay within the same field, like your front end dev just says front end dev stuff. There's going to be like all manner of new stuff coming along, so you're constantly going to be resetting. You know. And so I'm sure, like, React will go out of style and it'll be, like, you know, some, like, super, you know, Google project and then Microsoft will make something and then we'll all switch gears to that. Um, it's, you know, like, you'll constantly be running into these kinds of things. I've noticed that, like, throughout my career for, the, you know, past 20 years of coding I've been doing, um, that that's a common theme. So I was going to say, Tim, oh, sorry, I got a weird echo. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, I totally noticed that, you know, when, you, when you're a beginner, you don't really know something like, um, you know, your object-oriented principles or whatever. Um, and as you learn more and more languages and paradigms, uh, that stuff does carry over, but you have to be open to the new things. Have you felt like any of your uh, Ruby object-oriented stuff carried over to JavaScript, or have you kind of thrown it away for more of a functional style? Um, 
I, just, I think it's there's there's things that I feel are more important to learn as a beginner, and, and that's why where this question is coming from. Like the, the language itself and the paradigm seem to be what carry over from language to language for me. Especially with my education at Tech, they um, they didn't emphasize. It wasn't like you go through. This is the like the Java class. This is the Ruby class. This is the Python class. Whatever. You know, it was. Uh, here are some topics and concepts and ways of doing things. Um, you know, once you get past the basics of just syntax and you have some way of communicating, then like, what do you do with all that? Um, yeah, like, so like dealing with um, you know just like a general concept of like how do you represent some sort of like a collection of objects or, or a collection of things? I shouldn't say objects even. Um, or how do you like operate on things in a particular way? How do you do things asynchronously? How do you do things synchronously? Um, you know, kind of general concepts and just how those things are done in different languages. Um, you know, like if if you look at a lot of the um, compiled to JavaScript languages, they all under the hood are running JavaScript. But if you look at something like Clojure and how it's structured, um, it's a completely different thing from JavaScript syntactically. But ultimately, they're doing the same thing under the hood. So uh, that's kind of evident of the fact that you need to apply these sets of tools over time. I mean, like, really, like, the skill set you're developing is being a good beginner. Um, you're going to be a beginner once, and then you're going to be a beginner many more times, and you're going to get better at being a beginner. Um, and learning to um, adapt that information and knowledge that you've taken from other areas um, in a generic way. Um, it might be, you know, hard at first, the first time you make that kind of shift, but um, I, I think you can, uh, you'll start to see the similarities, as, especially like the third time you do it, the fourth time you start to map back and see like, okay, this is the same kind of path as before. Nice. So I, I want to chime in here because I did try to study computer science twice. I started twice, I went in and did it for two to three months. But then, when you sorry, when you say study, do you mean in like a formal university setting? Yes, yes. At the okay. at the Vienna Technical University, I started twice. I learned the basics of Java, but based on the curriculum and what we had learned so far, I felt it was very one-sided, and it sort of trained you to be able to program something in Java, but it didn't really train you to do anything else. And that was something I found severely lacking, which is why I stopped two times because I absolutely didn't want to do Java. Uh, I wanted to do JavaScript, and what they taught me wasn't in any way helpful for what I wanted to do, so I stopped twice. I, st I started again because my parents wanted me to study, but I just I couldn't pull, I, I just couldn't push through. I just ended up doing JavaScript all day long instead of Java. Um, I have a question that I'd like um, our guests and maybe panelists to debate a little bit. On a recent other podcast that I was on, it was posed to me that... Um, or the assertion was made that the, the most important thing that a beginner can have is early wins. Um, in, uh, in other words, like the most important thing that a beginner needs is to see very quickly that they can get something, you know, they can get an app out or they can get some idea, you know, concretely showing up. And um, I kind of thought about that and sort of bristled at that, and I'm not entirely sure I agree. But I'd, I'd be curious for those of you, especially our guests who are, who are here to talk about their beginner experiences, if you feel like that was part of your path or if you feel like there was another 
uh, key thing that kind of helped you, well, like once you got into being a developer, what kept you staying? What was that thing that hooked you? Uh, so I actually, I was listening to that podcast too, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And as I was listening to it, um, even before you chimed in, I was like, no way, that's not my case. Um, but yeah, like I could definitely see where um, that sentiment would come from because I see that from a lot of people. But for me personally, that wasn't it at all. Um, I was, I think for me, it was like you talked about the curiosity because I was surrounded by all these developers and they were doing things and I wanted to know what they were doing because like in my particular instance what really got me hooked was I was told like they didn't have time to make these things and I thought like I could totally figure this out myself this doesn't seem that complicated um, so that's what hooked me but I think what kept me hooked is it is a combination of my personality like I kind of had opened up saying like with the skating I just my personality does better when I have just like this constant set of challenges in front of me that I can't ever seem to work through. Uh, so as much as that gets me frustrated at times, at the end of the day, I know my personality and I enjoy that. So that's what keeps me hooked is just this like constant struggle, constant thing that I need to learn. So the curiosity. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think it's interesting, Amy, how you bring up, like, you know, different personalities, too. Because I think this, you know, the the wins could be viewed in different ways. Like, a win could be shipping a whole app, or a win could be just doing something. Like, um, like I think of this as, like, I keep the bar very low for this, personally. That, like, you know, if I'm trying a new thing, like, I'm learning to, you know, I'm, like, going rock climbing or something. Like, me showing up at the rock climbing gym is a win. Like, the fact that I got there is a win. And um, and then from, uh, so I, I also teach people to program, and we do, like, this is very much a part of the way we teach people to program, and we do count, like, did you get Node installed? Yes. <laughs> uh, like, that counts as a win. So I, I think it also is, you know, what counts as a win matters, too. Yeah, I was going to say the, uh, the granularity of those wins, and, and uh, like how you, you look at them is, is really important. Um, uh, like uh, I know for people who have anxiety and uh, like social anxiety in particular, um, like a good way to kind of break that down is to, you know, break down what you're trying to do. So like if you're trying to go to like a party and that's like a really scary thing, like you can break it down to I'm going to go put on a pair of pants and then I'm going to walk to the front door and I'm going to open the front door. Like each one of these things is a small step. Um, and uh, hopefully coding doesn't induce as much anxiety, but um, you can kind of break down the individual things. So like you said, installing Node and getting that up and running, um, or, you know, the individual parts. Uh, and the other thing, too, is to, like, take note of your failures um, and don't discount them and kind of discard them as trash because uh, I learn so much from the things I do wrong all the time. Um, like just yesterday I was dealing with Elasticsearch and trying to do some query where it wasn't matching like uh, a certain part of the query and I ended up learning a lot about how uh, Elasticsearch maps data and mixes it and you know all this this whole like you know unknown and unseen thing out of this tool I was using became available to me because I was failing at one particular thing 
And uh, well, that kind of ate up all my day, and it felt a little depressing. Um, in the end, now I know a lot more about um, Elasticsearch, which is going to be super helpful because that's like one of our main uh, data stores at this job. So um, being able to take stock in your failures and know how to um, learn from them, I think is just as important as uh, going from win to win to win. Because it's very easy to get like kind of distracted, like I'm making progress, so this is all good. But I'm kind of, you know, at the same time, you might be glossing over a lot of the important stuff that's going to bite you later. Um, especially when it comes to, um, if you're like taking a lot of like the cargo culting that uh, goes on in the industry, uh, cargo culting is kind of uh, groupthink. You know, everyone does this, they don't know why, but they do it. Um, and if you are, you know, using tools like, you know, you're using Webpack and you use some like uh, config that somebody built, you don't understand exactly how that works or why, but it works, yay, so that might be a win, but uh, the thing to look in there is like, I don't understand why this thing actually works at all, and then uh, like later on down the line when I want to do something different with that tool, uh, I'm not going to be sure of why what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, functioning at all. So I want to uh, clarify slash redirect my question slightly. Um, those were some really interesting thoughts, so I appreciate that. Um, so before I do, let me just share my own personal uh, bias, which a lot of people probably know, but it's, it's towards the teaching side. And for me, it seems like in my observation working with students that it is the light bulb moments of understanding when they look at somebody else's code and it's explained to them and they realize oh, I see why that worked. That was the part that seemed to, you know, and it was the collection of those over and over and over again that kind of sold somebody on staying as a developer. But the bigger context of my question is, um, do we have a responsibility as a developer community to make it easy for developers to fall in love with development? And if we do, are we, are we lowering that barrier? Are we lowering that bar so low? that we're bringing people in and they're not understanding uh, what it really takes, uh, you know, that, that, that being a developer, being an engineer requires an awful lot of investment of your, your time and energy. So, you know, in my sense, I would love to say, let's have everybody be a developer, but at the same time, I'd love for everybody that's going to be a developer to understand how important it is to take it seriously, how important it is to really learn stuff and not just be able to repeat the things that they see on Hacker News every single day. So I'm wondering what our responsibility is, how we should frame this, and how we should communicate this to beginner developers. That's a really interesting way to pose it. Uh, so for, I think, one of the analogies that I like to use that I think does, like, for certain, you know, if you are on the other side of this, you, you can vehemently disagree with it, uh, second person you. Um, that, you know, I think everyone should be able to learn to read, but maybe not everyone needs to be a novelist um, that is accessible to people. Um, and I think it's also, I mean, I think this is a really interesting show topic, too, because it is really hard. I'm finding it harder and harder the more deeply I understand how computing works uh, to get back into that beginner mindset of what it was like when I didn't know, you know, how computers worked more deeply. Uh, especially some of the mathematics parts um, that now I definitely take for granted. 
So I was just going to chime in, but Pam, you pretty much said exactly what my thoughts. Like I think especially um, like younger generations that learning to program is a basic skill, but if you, if it's not your thing, I don't think like Kyle said that we should um, like lower that barrier to entry so far that we take away from like what engineering actually means because especially with like all of these boot camps, I feel like there is a little bit of, and like TV shows, there's a little bit of glamorization of what we do, um, and I, I, I'm not a fan of that. Some people might like it. Wait, but. can you can you expand on glamorization <laughs> of our field? Because I'm definitely still having trouble with people saying I work in IT. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you think of like the TV show Silicon Valley, and like a lot of these boot camps are like you're going to make you know six figure doing this for a couple you know couple months. Um, so there's there's a lot of like glamorization where they're not really going into like the uh, my personal opinion is especially as a newer developer um, you owe it to your employer to put in some overtime because you're ramping up you have a lot to learn um, and I just feel like some boot camps do a great job of doing this others only do this at the back end when you're like about to graduate and they don't tell you this like when you've already paid your money so. Yeah, <laughs> those are my thoughts. So on that, um, I, I would say that, like, I would hesitate to say that you owe it to your employer to put in overtime, but you owe it to yourself. If, you're really, if you really want to develop your skills, um, putting in extra work is a really great way to do that. Um, you know, obviously we all have different levels of privilege where, you know, you may get home from work and you have to go take care of your spouse because, like, they're terminally ill or something, you know, like, um, but if if you are able to and you really want to, putting in extra time is a really great way to develop your skills. Um, but in addition to that, I um, I also wanted to mention kind of on the topic of glamorization of our, our field, um, at the, the WWDC this, uh, just this last week, it was mentioned by Tim Cook how easy it is to program. Uh, I, I actually didn't hear this, I just saw this around on Twitter. Um, and I think, like, yes, it's a lot easier to build cool things than it used to be, um, but it's a little, um, like, misleading to say that it's easy to program. Um, it's not easy to program. It is hard, and you have to work really hard to do it. Each one of us, like, combined have, have spent, like, years and years of um, time developing our skills so that we could, so we could do this uh, job. And it's totally rewarding, but don't let anybody tell you that it's easy because it's not easy. Um, like it takes a lot of work. So uh, to build off of that, Kent, um, the the video that Apple showed in that keynote was tremendously. It was emotional and inspiring, talking about how many different people, how powerful this notion of coding was uh, um, as a way to empower people to to share their voices and whatever. And of course, all of those things I think are absolutely positive for society as a whole and culture as a whole. We need to find as many paths for people to have their voice and to, to participate and to level the playing field as possible. And to the extent that code can do so, I think that's a fantastic thing. It used to be that coding was only something known by the elite few and the mass public would have had no idea and now uh, it is something that you know, a 10-year-old can pick up and make a great app that all of us are playing on our phones tomorrow, and that's fantastic. But I would say this. Um, I would pose that um, when I teach, 
there's two different um, places or two different contexts, uh, my mental contexts that I will approach someone with if I'm going to teach. And I have to ask this every time somebody asks for a class, for example. Um, uh, so the metaphor that I'd give is uh, the difference between so as a you know as a homeowner, if I have some cabinets here in my kitchen that I'd like to you know update or replace or something like that, well, one one way of doing that is for me to hire uh, some professional cabinet maker person to come in and install them. Another way is to go down and take a couple of weekend classes at Home Depot on cabinet making and cabinet installation, and you know learn as a hobby, if you will, uh, how to do cabinets. Um, so the classes that I take to learn a do-it-yourself cabinet making or do-it-yourself cabinet install are, are, and I think necessarily should be, different than the classes that I take if I want to become a professional woodworking cabinet maker. And that, I think, is where I'm really coming from here, is that I think that we sometimes blur the, those lines in the admirable goal of trying to give everybody a chance, and we don't ever make it clear that there is a step, there is a difference between those two. This is actually kind of pertinent to me because one of my super, super duper long-term goals, like 10, 15 years, is to actually uh, buy a plot of land and build a house on it as much as I physically can myself. Um, and I understand that there is a lot of stuff to learn there, uh, woodworking, plumbing, maybe electrical. Electrical. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a very ambitious goal of mine, um, and who knows if I actually ever will do it. But uh, at some point, I'm going to buy that that plot of land and get started. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I think that's probably like the uh, uh, analogous to like a uh, you know developer plunking down some money on like a boot camp or something. Um, you know, like I'm going to actually get this going and make it happen. Um, I, I think from like the the teaching perspective, like getting back to, to a little bit to what you were saying about like finding a person's inspiration, that's really I think up to the person themselves. But um, it can be uh, encouraged and moved along a bit uh, based on the tooling given to them. Um, I remember way back in uh, high school or middle school or something, we had the Apple IIe's and they had logo on there. And um, I don't know if anybody remembers Logo, but it was a, um, you have this little turtle on the screen, and you issue commands, text commands, um, to get it to move around, and then eventually you can make it draw stuff. Um, there are all kinds of complex things you can do. And um, that was a good, like, one-to-one -one representation of the things I'm building and seeing them happen. Um, I actually um, also recently got into uh, just playing around with Unreal Engine, uh, it's the game engine behind, like, Emerald Tournament and a bunch of other video games. And they have uh, made uh, freely available, so you can go and download it. It's a couple gigs. And it's an editor to create games, basically. And they give you a, kind of a template to get started with, and then you can go to town. And the way you actually make that happen, I was expecting it to be a bunch of programming, and, you know, whooping out my uh, you know, Visual Studio and getting started with that. Actually, what they built is uh, what's called a flow-based uh, programming model. So... Uh, think of it kind of like uh, Lego bricks. You get to put together and draw lines and stuff. There's no like typing involved. Um, you can just drag and drop and make it all happen. And um, I was able to. Uh, I was coming up with an idea for like a, a guy who's like a you know one of the uh, people that uh, sets up bombs, like destroy buildings. So like you know throw bombs around and 
you know, hit a button and then they all blow up. Um, and physics go flying everywhere and it's cooling. So, uh, like, figuring out how to do that from, like, the basic template they give you, which is just a gun and it fires little uh, yellow balls, um, to make those, like, stick out of the buildings and do all this stuff. I had to, like, figure out all those things. And it was very motivating because every step of the way I was able to, like, hit a button and preview what I was doing immediately and see the result of it. So it wasn't so disconnected and far away that, like, I'd have to pull these things together and cross my fingers and hope it all compiles and get it work right. Um, I think having that kind of interactive, directly visible tooling is super-duper important for um, getting beginners really interested in what's going on. Um, I think that's why the web works really well and my JavaScript works really well, because you hit, you know, uh, command option I, and then you got your console's up, and you can start typing JavaScript straight away. You can, you know, do stuff that immediately affects what's on screen. Um, and then, you know, what we've kind of been developing over time, um, uh, Dan's a big champion of this sort of thing, like having a good developer experience and having uh, you know rapid feedback, so hot reloading of the stuff you're writing. So as soon as you write it, it's immediately visible. Uh, being able to you know play around with uh, higher application runs and all that stuff, um, it, it's it, it's very engaging for all levels too. It's not just beginners, but um, I think particularly for beginners and kind of emphasizing what they're doing. Uh, has a connection to what they're going to produce, and kind of seeing it incrementally along the way is super duper helpful. So uh, I think it's just uh, from our perspective as people who are no longer beginners, the way we can help out is um, thinking about that kind of tooling that enables interactive, engaging uh, experiences when programming. That's great. Yeah, I. Uh... I just kind of touching on that. I'm reminded of the um, let's see, is the change log episode 200? I think um, they had Rockbot uh, Rachel Vasquez on the show, and I I've referenced this on the show before because I just think this is so awesome. And she said that um, like when she was in school, it was uh, oh yeah Raquel Velez, excuse me, thanks Pam. Um, yeah, Raquel said that. When she was in school, math was not exciting to her because it's like, why is calculus even a, a thing? Like my dad still asks me, why do they teach people calculus? It's the most pointless math ever, um, because like it's it's hard to see how this is really valuable. Like who cares what the area under a sine wave is? Is what he'll always ask me, and I'm like, I don't, a lot I, of people care. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do care. I just don't understand it either. But. Um, that the underlying problem there is that people don't see the application, and so they're not. There's pretty much no motivation to learn this if you don't see the application to it. And so Raquel says you got you got to do it kind of backwards. You have to say, I want to make this robot that can move an arm like this, right? Like I want to have it do something, and then you uh, work backwards into what are the things I have to do to do that. Uh, to accomplish my my goal there, so I, I think that's a really good you know teaching mechanism. A good I idea for us as um, as learners is um, don't just try and jump in and say I'm going to go learn JavaScript. I'm going to go learn uh, I don't know like functional programming. Even you say I want to like I'm interested in building this thing, and I'm because I'm interested in in build, like learning functional programming. I'm going to apply functional programming concepts or or I'm just going to build this thing, I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to learn how to do that. So we do have just a, a couple of minutes left, and we have a, a several Twitter questions, but Max, was there something else you wanted to add to that? 
No, I just wanted to say, um, I just wanted to confirm that because I still remember the best math teacher I ever had. I sadly only had her for half a year. And she did exactly what she said. She just always said, gave us, before she taught something, she, she told us, this is a practical use of this. You're not just learning some sort of random thing. You're actually learning something with a practical use case. And it made me remember, it, it made me love maths, basically. Yeah, and actually that makes me think. Last night I gave a talk and uh, got some feedback on it, and, and most of the feedback was, it, it was about ASTs, and like that's kind of an, a crazy concept uh, for a lot of people. And the feedback that I got was, um, by once I finally gave use cases, then people were really interested. But until they, they heard what the practical um, implications of learning ASTs and, and transforming ASTs and stuff, until they heard those practical applications, they were kind of, uh, disconnected, um, and so, yeah, that I, I think that is a great point. Um, cool. So let's jump into our Twitter questions here. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, thanks everybody for participating. That's been really great. So um, Juan says uh, ask, asks on Twitter with the JSR question hashtag, what was your best and worst experience as a beginner to programming? And I think we'll we'll go ahead and open this up to the guests, uh, but also if any of the panelists like to jump in on that. Uh, that'd be interesting too. I'm trying to think of something quick so I can get started. Um, I, I remember like uh, creating like a really bad bug that involved payments and therefore is really really bad uh, uh, in one of the, the things I was developing um, on that same project. I had a really big like win in terms of it was this like auction site thing that needed like really fast. Um, updating stuff, so like being able to, uh, like in real time, have like two people click with like milliseconds of difference, um, and get that all to work. Uh, that was a huge win. So I had to do all this locking stuff and learn a lot about uh, asynchronous stuff that I hadn't really dived into super deep in a while. Um, but I remember having that that payment thing was kind of a bummer. Um, there's actually like a I've got a vague idea for a podcast based around this, where it's just like bring on a guest and talk about like the worst thing that you ever had uh, happen to you in uh, programming, and then what you learn from it. Um, I learned never to uh, not double check your payment uh, fields on a form. Um, well, hopefully, you know other ones would be a little bit more <laughs> uh, in depth. Go ahead, Amy. Okay. Uh, I was going to let Max go, but I'll go, whatever, since I'm here. Um, so I think for me the worst, I don't want to like pinpoint a specific thing, um, but I'm going to like pick on Kyle in a good way because I really like his books. But for me overall the worst is like people who take a concept that could be explained very simply and uh, they have a tendency to make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Just I don't know if it is... Um, like through no fault of their own that they're not the best, they're not the most skilled at teaching concepts or if they're purposely trying to make it complicated. <laughs> but as a beginner that's really frustrating so my advice is like if you come across that don't give up just search for some other materials because just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's your fault. Uh, and then the my best experience, I have a lot of them but the one of the first things that popped into my mind was my boot camp because I know a lot of people uh, ask questions from people who went to boot camp, like, was it worth it? Are you glad you went? My personal experience was I'm really glad that I did that. Um, 
multiple reasons. It sped up my process in learning and formed some really great relationships there, which I think are important as you're a developer. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, so I have uh, my, my, my worst experience uh, that I remember with programming was uh, I, I started with Visual Basic, and it was amazing, like for me back then. Uh, but I also tried to learn serious language because that was people on the forums told me to do. So I downloaded a C++ compiler and I couldn't figure out the compile errors. Like, I literally couldn't figure out what they mean. Uh, like, I had the header file and the implementation file and if I couldn't figure out, like, uh, the syntax things. And so, basically, this stopped me from learning C++. So this was my worst experience. And I think one of my favorite experiences was uh, sometimes after I started learning JavaScript, I was working on a product in JavaScript, and we had a really complex parallax page, like when parallax pages were a thing, uh, like where you have multiple layers going on at different speeds, and like you have to show different things and then hide them depending on the scroll position. Uh, I, I know a lot of people hate that, but... <laughs> Anyway, uh, it was really buggy. Like, we can figure out why sometimes elements just don't appear or they appear at the wrong place. Uh, and I tried to refactor it and, like, figure out how to write it uh, in a less complicated way. And finally, I found a sensible way to write it. And so the problem was that uh, we had a soup of event handlers, like, listening to a scroll event and operating DOM nodes inside the event handler. But basically, it was very hard to track what's going on. And so what I did was I, uh, I went to a coffee shop without a laptop uh, and uh, I sliced uh, pieces of paper and I would just put pieces of paper and figure out how they are supposed to move, how these layers are supposed to move, uh, responding to the scroll position. And so later I wrote functions that calculate the positions of the layers depending on the scroll position without any DOM. And I wrote tests for these functions uh, again, without any DOM, because these are just calculations. And later I had a single handler that would just listen to the scroll event, call my function, and apply these positions. And this is how I learned that it's important to separate the computation from the side effects, because it's so much easier to reason about the computation alone. Well, yeah, I think actually you referenced that uh, same thing on our functional programming show. Um, so, no, that's, that's great that... Uh, it uh, has taught you so much. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I think, like, again, just, like, testifying that you learn so much from your failures uh, and, and from the things that you try really hard at, not that you failed at that. Obviously, you did not. Um, so, yeah, I have one, one kind of uh, funny bad experience as a beginner developer. So uh, I was working at Domo, and we had this chat, uh, chat client, and um, I got a bug that the chat had... Uh, cross-site scripting problem in it, so like somebody would put a comment with the script tag, and um, you know run scripts on everybody's computers because it was like instant. So as soon as they put the comment, boom, everybody who had that open uh, would have that vulnerability. And so my blunder was uh, when I was trying to reproduce it um, at Domo, they dog food their product, and so I reproduced it in production <laughs> on <laughs> on our client. Uh, our, only on our internal stuff, but like everybody in the whole company got this like this alert that popped up that said you've been hacked. 
Oh, that was that was really embarrassing. I had to like go and tell everybody you haven't been hacked. Like this is oh my gosh. And like uh, unfortunately at that time the um, the like mechanism to delete comments was broken, and so like we couldn't even get rid of it for like a couple hours. It was it was awful. So um, and I'm still alive. Like every everything's okay. So uh, you can make blunders. It's okay. <laughs> at least it didn't like cost us money or anything. Um, cool. So we have many more questions. Um, I'm afraid that we won't be able to get to them all. Um, and so yeah, we'll just get to a couple of them. Maybe spend a little bit less time on them. But that was a fun one. Um, so this one's from uh, I'm going to pronounce the name wrong. Um, Anirud Anirud Modi. And the question is, what is one piece of advice you would give to beginners? JS community being very huge, it can be intimidating to survive. So one piece of advice. Fundamental. We've actually got a show coming up on JavaScript Air. It's in the planning stages about how to be a good mentor, because this is such an important thing. So yeah, that's a good tip. Anything don't else? Do, don't do it alone. Find somebody who's also at your level and do it with them. Yeah, there's a, there's a common thing called having a, a, I think it's brain trust. It might be something else. Uh, having a group of people together who are uh, on your same level and kind of getting together regularly. Um, I forget what that's called. Uh, but I, I, like, I know like the founder of the company I'm at right now has that with a, a few other people where they just get together once a month and they kind of talk about um, businesses and stuff and development and all that stuff. Uh, it's really good to have a, like a regular support group you meet with. Uh, much like the JSR panel that we have here. So I would, I even am just going to put this in my tips at the end of the show, uh, but that, um, like, one of my tips for beginners, and I think I might have said this on the show before, but don't say stuck more than 15 minutes. Like, if you have gone as far into the Google hole as you possibly can, and that's actually another one of the, our, our questions on Twitter about, you know, searching on Google, but... Uh, but if you've gone as far as you can and you were just absolutely stuck, uh, talk to someone and ask for help, and you know, see if ask if someone will look at it with you for just a couple minutes to help you get unstuck. It does wonders. Yeah, that's I, I think 15 minute rule is a, a good one. Um, 15, 20 minutes. Um, yeah. So I, I think we'll, we'll jump into the next question. I, I really want to get to at least this one from Larry King. Uh, his question is, I work and have learned on my own. I get concerned uh, how much I end up Googling. Is Google a tool or a crutch for us? I'll just go ahead and say it's a major tool, and I Google all the time. Yeah, I think there's um, like there's been this talk about how Joe Armstrong talked about how you actually can't hold, like a machine can get into a state you actually physically can't hold like all the things that are going on to your head. So it's really just outsourcing that into the internet and saying, you know, I'm going to bring these things when I need them, which I really like. I Google arena once every day. <laughs> you go ahead. No, I think it's you, Max. All right. So I, I want to chime in here because I've got to plug this. We built a tool called Carte Blanche, which is, which is basically exactly like that because we realized that React components um, can come into a ton of different states, and they're really hard to work with sometimes because you just can't keep it all in your, in your head. Ah, <laughs> so we basically built a tool that takes care of that for you. Nice. Oh, yeah. Got to get that plug in there. Sorry. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. Put that in the links so that yeah. we can yes, we'll do. That. Yes, we'll do. 
Any other I thoughts? Was gonna, I was also going to mention, like, it's important to have, like, quick links to where stuff is. So, like, as much as you, you don't want to Google everything you're thinking about. Um, but it is helpful to, like, know how to quickly get to the kind of stuff you're thinking about a lot. Uh, yeah, like I'm dealing again with Elasticsearch a lot right now, so I can't remember all of the individual options to query DSL. It's huge, um, and you know, like if I'm trying to figure out how to do a cardinality aggregation, I don't know the exact stuff for that. So, but I know how to get to that quickly. I, I think that's as good of a skill to have as being able to Google cardinality aggregation in Elasticsearch. Um, yeah. Well, you know, and um, and Tim. Uh, I just want to jump in because I think what you're also, like, you're reminding me that people often used to, I mean, it's easy to forget, but, I mean, these books are still for sale, but, you know, reference books. Like, people have always used reference books or, you know, cookbooks, like the Python cookbook, uh, so that you can use them, you have books on your desk to reference before we had more of the, in, more of the Internet indexed. Yeah, and cheat sheets, too. They're yeah, really cheat sheets. Yep, nothing wrong with this. Uh, I so Larry, you're good. Keep googling. Google away. Um, uh, okay, I I do want to talk about this because th like for beginners, this is a big question. I think uh, so. Chris Gallup asks: Jobs that require a bachelor's degree, would they give candidates a, um, without a bachelor's degree a chance? So it's really common to say like you know we require a bachelor's degree or something on a job description. Um, is is that a good thing? Should people be required to have a bachelor's degree? Uh, absolutely not. They shouldn't be required to have anything. Uh, what matters is not what you've done in the past, but what you're going to be doing. Um, typically, how I've uh, learned to structure job uh, postings is to say, not you must have X number of years experience. You must not have experience with this thing. It's more, here are the things you're going to do. You're going to do you know, this cool thing with this cool technology. Um, and whether or not you uh, have, you know, 10 years experience, 5 years experience, really doesn't matter, too, because, like, you might be a really bad programmer who worked and slugged through something for 10 years, and you might be a really awesome programmer who's only worked for 3 years but knows all of it um, way better. So, I, I mean, it'll come down to the company, obviously, if, if they're enlightened enough to realize that it shouldn't be just a hard cutoff of, you do or do not have, uh, you know, these checkbox list of skills. Um, but I would say, like, you know, don't, don't not apply to a job just because you don't fit the uh, description exactly. Uh, it's, you know, all the time it happens that, like, they put in some, like, like, you must have 10 years of experience in language that was invented five years ago, uh, that kind of thing. That, that's actually, that happens. Um, and so these impossibilities show up anyways. Um, maybe they're just weeding out people who are uh, too, like, aren't paying attention enough to realize that that's a thing. Um, so, yeah, just apply anyways. It, it doesn't matter. Like, if, if you fit well with that team and you're a good hire and you've got the skill set or at least the desire to obtain that skill set, um, go for it. Like, that's another opportunity, another challenge for you to overcome, and that's awesome. I want to second that. I, I, I honestly suggest just apply to every single job you see, no matter what the job description says at all. Like, just try it. The worst thing that can happen is that they say no, and then you, you'll at least have learned something, which is, you know, that interview process wasn't, that wasn't the right fit. But, like, just apply, 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 and try to, try to find the perfect match for you and for the company. Great. Um, so we are over our time for sure. Uh, so I'm going to do something for our tips and picks. 
I'm going to um, give each one of you 30 seconds for your tips and picks. We're going to do this rapid fire um, so that we can wrap up here in a little bit. So we'll go ahead and uh, start with the panelists, and then I'll go, and then we'll uh, let our guests go. Um, and I'll, I'll cover Brian Lensdorf, who had to jump out. So let's start with uh, Dan. Yep. So first of all, if you're just starting JavaScript, uh, read into JavaScript on MDN. It's amazing it's how I learned ES5. After that, go to uh, leanpop.com slash understanding ES6, which is a book by uh, Nicholas Zagas. It's like uh, an amazing resource, very in-depth, but it's a great resource to learn ES6. Uh, there is a good article called Teach Yourself Programming in 10 Years uh, by Peter Norvig, uh, which is like... Uh, I think it's relevant to what we talked about today, so check it out. Uh, a great talk called On Spectrum of Abstraction by Chen Lu from React Europe. Check it out. It's an amazing talk about different abstraction levels and libraries. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, this is it for now, but uh, I have a few more picks, so check them out on the website. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Uh, get a five. All right. First off, everyone, I recommend that you take a walk every single day. And I also recommend you replace one drink a day with water. Um, and that might be your coffee or a soft drink or something else like that. But just try it and see if you feel better. Uh, for developers, specifically beginner developers, write your code as simply and as verbosely as possible to explain your thinking or maybe even lack of it clearly. Don't just emulate the short, clever code that you see from others. Your future self a few weeks from now will thank you if you make your thinking clear in your code. Some quick picks. Simple HTTP2 server. Those that uh, work with uh, spinning up Python simple HTTP server know how this one works, but this one was built to use the HTTP2 protocol, so you can start to experiment with that. Um, and there's, uh, I've got links to both the project and a demo of that. That's pretty cool. Uh, there's a new flavor of compression coming along, and it's not just from Huli or Pied Piper. It's called Brotly, and um, it's made a lot of progress very quickly. Uh, I think it's, we're going to see over the next few years uh, it start to uh, unseat gzip, so check out Brotly. And finally, for the, the beginner developers in the audience or for people that know beginner developers, I have uh, in my book series, the first book in the You Don't Know JS book series is called Up and Going. It's not only free online, but the ebook version from O'Reilly is also free. It's designed specifically to help you do that, get up and going. So I hope you'll check that out. That's it for me. Great. Good resources. Thank you. Uh, Pam. Hey, so I'm going to pick uh, NAND to Tetris. So this is a course uh, that if you are, lots of thumbs up from Kyle on NAND to Tetris. Uh, so this is kind of a it's been around for a long time, but it teaches you how to build a computer from first principles. So from, from the math to computer, uh, that's what Nano Tetris does. And they actually have a Coursera version, uh, which if you wanted to get a certificate or something, you can do that, or you can audit it for free, of course. Uh, and then since we did touch on jobs for a hot second, I did want to mention I actually do have a book on how to get your next job as a developer. If you are interested in that sort of thing, uh, I, I dropped a link for it. Uh, it's called Beyond the Resume. Uh, and it basically breaks down a job hunt and all the things of how everyone tells you how to get your job through a network. Uh, it actually tells you like what that means and how to do that uh, instead of you know superfluous advice. So uh, those are my picks. Great, yeah, I love it. Uh, okay, so for me, 
Um, I just have two tips. The first is learn one new thing every day. Uh, so even like as as you're a beginner, you're learning like crazy amounts of new things all the time. Uh, and over over time, you start to like just do the same thing each day uh, after a while. And so like don't fall into a, that kind of a rut. Make sure that you're always learning something new. So I something that I do just like specific. I uh, go to Egghead.io and I find a video that I haven't watched before and I watch it. Uh, and then for your all y'all's benefit, um, I tweet it with Egghead a day hashtag. So you can follow that hashtag and um, learn with me. Uh, and then my uh, next tip is the learning workflow is consume, build, and teach. So we can get overwhelmed by all the things that there are to learn. Just like consume as much as you can, like high-level stuff. Just be, familiarize yourself with it all and recognize that you're not going to learn it all. Um, and then just choose the things that are interesting to you and build stuff with that. And then you're going to make mistakes um, and you're going to like that process is really good for your learning. Uh, if you teach it, that will solidify your understanding of that. Um, and then my two picks are React HTML email. Um, it's been super helpful. I've been um, dreading, like having trouble writing HTML emails, no surprise. And uh, React HTML email makes it a lot easier. And then Aphrodite. I've talked about it on the show uh, before. I totally love Aphrodite. It's awesome. It's uh, CSS and JS, but it actually generates actual CSS. So there are no hacks for media queries or, or hover states or anything like that. Uh, cool. So I am going to give Brian's um, picks and tips. So his uh, he has two tips. Learn the language, learn the paradigms, then learn the libraries and frameworks. Uh, and then ES5 is still huge. Perhaps start there and learn ES2015 after. That's probably a good, good tip. Um, and then for his picks, this is a great one. Orla Orlando shooting GoFundMe. So there's a GoFundMe for the Orlando, Orlando shooting. That's good. I'm glad that we have that mentioned in there. Um, then a, it looks like a playlist on YouTube for conference talks from Yao Jam, uh, Yao Lambda Jam 2016. Uh, so check those out. And then uh, functional JavaScript. This is a Manning book uh, that he recommends that you check out. Uh, Brian is our functional programming guru on the show, so love seeing these these picks. Uh, and then Scott Moss. So uh, Scott Moss is an awesome person who unfortunately last minute wasn't able to make it to our show. He has an amazing backstory, um, which he he talked about at the first ng-conf, I think. So you can find his talk there. Um, but uh, yeah, he wasn't able to make it. So he, I did ask him for tips. He gave me one tip. Uh, try to use NPM scripts directly for your next project and not a build tool like Gulp. Probably a good, uh, good thing to try out. I haven't used Gulp in actually like a year, so it's possible. Uh, and then his pick is Overwatch. It's a game. So playoverwatch.com. Uh, great. Amy, why don't we have you go next? Okay. Uh, so I guess for my tip, uh, back to what I said earlier, uh, if you are like trying to find materials on JavaScript and they're confusing, just stop looking and read the You Don't Know JS series because Kyle's stuff is awesome. Uh, <laughs> anyways, um, and then for my picks, I want to pick an organization that I am do a lot for. It's called Operation Code um, because I am a spouse of a veteran, so they are trying to get other spouses of veterans into programming or uh, just vets in general. So they have like t-shirts. You can help donate to them by just ordering a new t-shirt. And then other picks, uh, there is a conference specifically for junior developers. It's a newbie remote comp, and there will be links for that. So you should totally attend that. It is a conference that you can attend in your pajamas. So 
It's uh, put on by Chuck, who does JavaScript Java. And then the last pick, another really, really, really great resource that I have been doing lately is a book called Grokking Algorithms. And this book is so beginner-friendly that I'm pretty sure that a non-developer could pick it up with just like a week's worth of programming experience. So it just explains things in a really, really, really clear, approachable way. So that's it for me. Whoops, I just uh, muted my video on accident. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, Amy. Uh, Max? Yes, I want to add to what Amy said. Definitely read You Don't Know JS. It's probably the best JS book I've ever read. If, well, the best JS books I've ever read. It's amazing. Seriously, of, read it. I paid all of the <laughs> panelists to plug my books, just so everybody knows. No, so like so that everybody knows he actually didn't. It's seriously amazing. <laughs> um, second tip I want to do is you don't have to be Ryan Florence or Dan Abramov or Michael Jackson or Carl Simpson to get a job as a developer. I thought that for a very long time. It's absolutely not true. You can be you're a great developer, even if you're not even if you don't have thirty thousand Twitter followers. Um, and I've got two picks. Um, the first one is an article by Setupop where it talks about the Webpack DLL plugin. Really specific top stuff, but it actually speeds up your hot module reloading and your startup time by a lot. It makes everything a lot nicer to work with, your tooling a lot better. Check that out. And I want to also add to on to what Carl said. Um, there's a great app for Mac called Lookup App, which reminds you every, um, I think it's 20 minutes, um, to sort of take a look somewhere else except for your screens so you don't actually ruin your eyes after a while because that happens if you just stare at your screen for nine hours and also reminds you to do like stretches and gives you instructions to be nice and free. Get it? Cool. Um, and Tim. Sure. Um, so one of the tips I had was to contribute to uh, documentation as kind of a first start for, um, and this applies both to getting into open source but also getting into programming. Um, if you can document it, you can probably think about how it works a little bit, and then you can start to think about how can I contribute and make this better and different. Um, so it's a good way to, to get a low barrier of entry into it. Um, we have an issue on React Router uh, for improving our docs, which uh, frankly suck right now, and uh, need a lot of work uh, and a lot of love. So if anybody wants to help out, that'd be great. Uh, for picks, I had a, uh, so I know this is JavaScript error, but uh, I had a, uh, it's called Practical Object-Oriented Design in Ruby. Uh, it's Pooter for short. Um, I've uh, met the author uh, once. She's, she's great. Um, it, it's basically a great book on, um, well, it's written in Ruby and couched in Ruby. It's definitely like applicable to all sorts of things, even uh, the prototypical type of inheritance that um, uh, JavaScript does. So you can uh, apply a lot of uh, practical concepts to uh, uh, your programming across the board. It, it's a great book. It's really well written, uh, really easy to follow. Um, second, I had uh, I have a Webpack preset. is a project I've been working on. I have not worked on it in a little while. I need some inspiration to get going, so hopefully some people can see it and maybe inspire them to get going on it again. The idea is uh, zero co configuration Webpack. You just type uh, npm start, and you're good to go. Uh, you just install this uh, thing, and it reads through your package.json file and just does it automatically. So if you want to install Babel, just look at npm install webpack uh, bab, uh, preset Babel, and you're good to go. Uh, lastly, I had, uh, on the non-technical side, uh, Lady Dynamite on Netflix, really awesome. It's a Maria Banford show. She uh, has her uh, various mental disorders, um, which she's always been super open about, uh, represented as characters in the show occasionally. Um, it's not really revealed until the end, but it's not big spoiler or anything. Uh, and it's absolutely hilarious. 
Um, highly recommend it. And then also, if you're looking to start a diet, uh, I just started keto a couple weeks ago. Um, it's interesting. Basically, your body burns carbs, your body burns fat. Carbs are really fast burning. Uh, fat's really slow burning. So what if you just turn off the carbs and slow burn all your energy? Uh, that's the idea. So um, I eat like under 1,500 calories a day, but I feel like I've eaten 2,000. Um, just because it's so consistent and smooth throughout the day. Uh, interesting diet, nice little body hack. Um, I'm into those sorts of things. I did so for like two years. So um, I'm always trying to uh, get around the uh, exercise part of diet and just play with the numbers to make it all work. And this is my latest uh, little trick. Cool. All right, um, that is our show. So let me just wrap up with a couple announcements. We have a silver sponsor, Trading Technologies. They are hiring, so if you are a beginner developer, check them out. Um, and then I have a couple links for you. We love suggestions. This show was a result of a suggestion. If you go to jsair.io slash suggestion, then uh, that will take you to a form to give suggestions for topics or guests or both. And then jsair.io slash feedback. Uh, if you have feedback for this show or the show in general or past show, that's the place to do it. Um, and then, and we love your feedback. And I should, I also wanted to mention that uh, these forms, I'm subscribed to these forms. So when you submit, um, or when you submit this form, I get an email instantly, and I normally read it right then. Um, so I really, I, I'm seriously interested in your feedback and your suggestions. Uh, and then jsair.io/email will take you to our email newsletter where you can get updates about the show. Well, it's not updates. It's just like every week we send. Um, stuff about uh, the uh, the show, like highlights and stuff like that. So check that out. And then remember, next week is KCDC, uh, the Kansas City Developer Conference. I will be there live and on site with some people. It will be on, I believe it'll be on Thursday. So just check the website um, to know exactly when that is. And with that, I'm uh, just going to say goodbye. So thanks, everyone. This was awesome. Bye. Bye. Bye.